Let me invite you to turn to Psalm 28 as we come tonight. We return back to this uh, this section of the Psalms, this second half of the first book of the Psalms. We've come back to David. We've been, David's been all over the Psalms so far. We will see him again in these words. Let's come to read these uh, these nine verses, Psalm 28. This is the word of David. This is the word of King David. This is the word of the King of Kings, the word of the great King, your King, God. Let's hear. Let's listen. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil's in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. That's in the reading of the holy and inspired and authoritative word of the living and true God. May he bless it to us. And he can bless it to us this evening because this is the prayer of a king. This is a royal prayer. This is a prayer of David. But not David when he's on the run. Not David, the young boy. Not David when he's facing Goliath. But David as a king, we know that because of verse 8. The saving refuge of his anointed. When he speaks about the anointed one, he's talking about himself. He is the anointed king. It's a royal prayer. And of course, David always seems to be praying when there's a problem on the line. You read the Psalms, it's almost always David has an issue. He has a problem he's facing. He needs help. And so he's praying. And that's not unusual because when you have a problem, what do you do? There's a really bad problem. You start praying eventually. There comes a point where you realize, I can't put duct tape on the problem. I can't fix it, so I have to pray, I guess. And so you pray. But the difference between my prayer and your prayer, on the one hand, and David's prayer, is not that they're about problems. It's how they treat God. I think it's very instructive as we come tonight to see how David treats God, what he's really scared of, and where he really goes. This is a king's cry. We come first to what he's really scared of. Or if you want a better way to write it down, you might call it the dread of darkness or the sound of silence. David is scared of one great thing in this psalm. It's not the enemies he's facing. One great thing is his fear. It's verse 1. Look there. Read there, verse 1, to you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Don't be deaf to me. If you are silent, I'm going to become like those who go down to the pit. 
His great fear is that God won't hear. His great fear is that God will be unresponsive. His worry is that the Lord does not hear. Because if God is silent, if God suddenly becomes deaf, David says here, the end of verse 1, I'm going to be like those who go down to the pit. What does that mean? What's he trying to get there? He's saying not just that people are dying. He's not just saying, I'm going to be like dead. You're going to kill me. But he's saying, actually, I'm going to die without hope. He's saying, not just I'm going to die, but even in my life, I'll be living a hopeless existence. Not just a dying existence, but a dying existence where there's no hope at all. I will die just like those who don't know you will die if you don't answer me. In other words, he's saying this. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that God hears the prayers of Christians. That's what he's saying, in essence. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that God hears the prayers of his people. He hears the prayers of Christians. Do you understand how powerful that is? And therefore, how scary it is if God doesn't hear your prayer. And yet, even as he talks about his fear, he gives two encouragements in verse 2. There are two things he's looking to, he's hoping for, he's basing his existence on. First, he says in verse 1, you're my rock. I call on you, You're, you're my rock. And that's, of course, a name that you think about a big rock. What do you think about? You think about strength. It's hard to break a big rock with a hammer, even a sledgehammer, if it's a big enough rock. A rock has security. But, of course, when the Bible talks about God as the rock, we're meant, if we're good Jews, if we know our Bible, we're meant to hyperlink over to the flashback to Exodus 17, to that time in the desert when Moses struck the rock and water gushed out of it. And in Exodus 17, verse 6, we find these words. The Lord says to Moses, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb at Mount Sinai, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. God identifies himself with the rock that gives water, that gives life when it's stricken, when it's hit. And of course, you should see there a picture of our Savior. Jesus Christ is the rock. When he is stricken, when he is struck, what does he give? He gives life. He gives life. And so David is looking to this image of God as the rock. But he's looking to to a second image. It's in verse 2. He says, please hear my cries. Give me mercy. Help. I'm I'm, I'm out here on the edge. And the only right I have that you might hear me is that I'm lifting up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. That's verse 2. You'll note the footnote in your Bible says, if you have the ESV, the innermost sanctuary, the most holy, the innermost, same thing. The holy of holies is what he's talking about here. The inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. And the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant was there. Now, what's funny here is that David never was in that place. He's not, he's not the high priest who can go in there once a year, as y'all. We've, we've discussed in Hebrews. 
But he assumes his prayers can get through the veil. He assumes his prayers can go into that place. He assumes that when he lifts up his hand towards the Holy of Holies, his body can't, his hand can't actually get in there, but his prayers can get in there. And so he has these two powerful weapons that he can use. God is the life-giving rock and God's holy of holies as the place of sanctuary. The place where his prayers can go. And yet he's still scared. I mean, isn't there something real in that? Isn't there something real that impacts your, your life as a Christian? You may have great knowledge of all the promises of God. You may know and you may tell yourself every day, God is my rock. Jesus Christ hears my prayers. You may, you may tell yourself that. You may know that. But the funny thing is, David knows that and he's still scared. He understands who God is as the rock, as the safety, as the security. He understands who God is as the one who hears prayer, but he's still scared. He's still worried. You might not hear me. I mean, this is like the basement level fear. This is the fundamental fear that God doesn't hear. If God does not hear you, if you don't hear me, it's all over for us. Everything depends on this. And this is why we go to the Psalms, because the Psalms at heart are the raw emotional beat of the, the soul of the Christian. This is why we don't mumble through the hard parts of the Bible like Psalm 28 or like Psalm 22. Remember what Christ says? Sorry, I thought it was Christ. It's David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? That's David, that's Psalm 22. And it's Christ, of course, on the cross. That's why it's so important that the songs we sing reflect the reality of the Christian life. The songs we sing reflect the sadness of the Christian life. And the joy of the Christian life. When I was growing up in church, we sang happy songs. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. But if not with our souls to another, oh God, let us be the generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. That's, I didn't know at the time, that's of course a quotation from the Psalms. But it's only, the, it's only the good parts. We're the generation, of course. We have clean hands. God can give them to us. We have pure hearts. We, we must be the generation that, that, that's going to change things in America or in the church, whatever it was when I was, you know, 15 years old. We never sang this stuff. We never sang, please, God, don't be silent. We didn't sing, how long, O oh Lord? We didn't sing, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think we missed something in doing that and just singing the, the more upbeat parts of the Bible, of the Psalms. It was great to sing the Psalms. I didn't know they were Psalms until later. But the problem is that we can become inoculated against this idea, this fear that David has. I mean, do you understand that if God does not hear you, there is no hope. If he's not home, nobody's home. The new, there's a newspaper report a while back that there was a Waffle House over in, what is it, North Carolina? One of the Carolinas. And there was a about midnight or so, a guy couldn't sleep. And he, he went over. He was like a block away. He just walked over to the Waffle House. 
And uh, he went in. He didn't see anybody. He waited for 10 minutes. Nobody came to pick his order up. He looked around the parking lot. He didn't see any cars there. I guess they were all asleep somewhere, the employees. So what did he do? He jumped over the counter. The grill was on. So he made himself a Texas bacon cheesesteak. Gobbled it down. He even cleaned up afterwards. And then, you know, after he had gone home and slept and it was about noon or so, he comes back and he pays for it. He felt a little guilty, I suppose, about doing it. But there's something wrong about that. There's a 24-hour Waffle House. 24 hours, always open. Nobody's home. Nobody was there. I mean, that is David's fear. And that should be your fear when you pray. Haven't you had that question? Is anybody actually home? Or am I just speaking, am I just speaking words? Is anybody actually home? And if God's home, is he just not going to talk to me? Is he silent? This is David's great fear. But second, we see here that, that David doesn't just have a great fear, but he needs, he craves great justice. He's, he's scared. He dreads deafness, but he also craves justice. This is verse 3 through verse 5. The second stanza, he, he moves from the fear of God to the fear of other people. He says, verse 3, they're wicked people, the workers of evil. They have evil hearts. Now, what is he thinking of? This is King David. Is he thinking of Goliath, the Philistines? Is he thinking of you know, the Hittites, the Babylonians, the Egyptians? No, he's thinking of the people who are around him. He, he's thinking of the Israelites. He's thinking not of pagans. He's thinking of people within Israel who want him dead, who oppose his reign as the leader of the covenant king. And he says, look, these evil people are doing two things to me. On the one hand, they're devious people. They speak peace with their neighbor, but evil is in their hearts. They, they make a good show of posing up to God, but they're plotting the overthrow of God's man. There are masterful hypocrites. And yet the real issue is in verse 5. They don't regard the work of the Lord. They don't regard the work of God's hands. They're dense. They're dull. They don't see God at work. And when they see something happen, they never assume it's God. They always assume it's something they did or something natural. They don't have regard for the works of the Lord. They're thick-headed. They don't praise God's works. So then what does David do? David does something that sounds really mean. Verse 4. Give them their just desserts. Or to put it in the Bible language, give them according to their works. According to the evil of their deeds. Give them their due reward. He says, God, give them what they deserve. Pay them back in equitable proportion. That's a little harsh, isn't it? You know, aren't we supposed to pray for our enemies? Pray for those who persecute us, love our enemies. Is this loving? Is loving? I think it actually is. I think it's very similar to what we find in Romans 12, verse 19. Don't take vengeance yourself. Commit vengeance to God. How do you actually not take vengeance yourself, but commit justice to God? You pray. 
You pray that God will do it. It's the right thing to do. That's what David does here. So uh, when you face injustice, when you face evil in your life, what are you to do? Yes, you're to respond with good. Yes, you respond with love. Yes, you can, you can pray the Lord would open up uh, the, the eyes and the heart and the mind of, that, the, of the person or the uh, uh, institution or whatever the case may be. But you can also pray, Lord, be a just God. Be a just God. You see, the Bible does not think that Christians are so dumb that we can't hold two things together. God wants us to hold, on the one hand, commit vengeance to him. On the other hand, Luke 6, 27 and 28, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who abuse you. We are called to pray for our enemies, that God would bring them to repentance, and we're called to pray against our enemies, the enemies of God's people, that God would bring them to justice. To put it very simply, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can do these two things at once. These are complicated prayers for complicated situations. See, Psalm 28 tells you there's never a situation where you can do nothing. This psalm here tells you there's, there's a situation in which you can always do something. You can pray. You can pray that God will take out the hypocrite. As you pray in love that God would bring the hypocrite, the same hit person, back to him. You can pray both at once. Beautiful, masterful. But third, we see here, David is not just scared of deafness. He does not just crave justice, but he actually moves in verse 6 through verse 8 to offer praise. He moves to offer praise to God. It's funny because this is an example of a psalm. It's kind of like a, a closed episode on a television show. You know, there are certain types of television shows that uh, are kind of running shows. You have to watch them all the time in order to, to know what's going on. They're not, you know, neatly tied off at the end of every hour. And there's some TV shows that are kind of serialized. You can just, uh, you can just watch one. You know kind of what's happening. Self-contained. This is a self-contained psalm. It has a fear, it has a prayer, and it has an answer. It has a concern of David. Enemies, don't be silent. David prays, and verse 6, he answers. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Well, what did David say in verse 2? Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. What happened in verse 6? God's heard them. He's done it. He's listened. He's responded. And, and just you can feel how happy David is, how exuberant he is. Blessed be the Lord. You've answered my prayer. So what am I going to do? I'm going to praise you. He goes on to say, look, my heart is super excited, or in the Bible language, exalts. He gives gusto praise. But there's more. Look at verse 8. He gives praise 
as he confesses truth. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. He is literally the fortress for his anointed king. He is that, you can imagine a strong castle, a safe place on a high hill. That's how David sees God. You're my castle. You're my fortress. You're the safe place. And that's why you're the strength of your people. God is the strength of his people because he is a saving stronghold for the king. You see that in verse 8? God is the strength of the people because, that's the implication here of the Hebrew, there's a because here, because he is the stronghold of his king. I mean, that's, your, that's Christianity, isn't it? You need to grab hold of this if you're a Christian. If your king has died, if your king has been raised, if your king sits at the right hand of God, if your king intercedes right now, then who can condemn any of the people of the king? As the king goes, so the people go. That is a basic Old Testament principle, but it's a basic New Testament principle as well. Because as King Jesus goes, so goes all us. So goes every Christian. You see, that was true for David. If David was faithful, the people would get the benefits. That was the basic principle of all the kings. If they're like Ahab and unfaithful, the people would reap the curses. And so it is with King Jesus to an infinitely higher degree. Doesn't that make you want to praise him all the more for what he's done for you? Doesn't that make you want to burst out like David does? Thank you, God, for all the ways you've answered prayers that I've never prayed, in addition to the ones I have prayed for. You see, when God answers your prayers, what do you do next? The answer ought to be, I thank him. And the answer so often is, I ignore him until it gets bad again. I ignore him until a crisis point is reached, until my enemies are next to me. Instead, when God answers our prayer, there is something desperately wrong if his answer to prayer does not make me, with gusto, exult like David does here. Blessed be the Lord. We are quick to pray desperate prayers in times of need, But when we are answered, when they're answered, no matter what the answer is, do you return to God in praise? Maybe one of the reasons why we tend to think singing is a boring thing or a dull thing is because we haven't yet seen the way God answers prayers. Maybe the reason why we don't think singing is all that important is because we haven't seen, we haven't really had a reason to sing. Besides, I like it, and I have a good voice, so I think. What a far better reason to sing, God answered my prayer. Wow. My heart exults. 
With my song, verse 7, with my song, I give thanks to him. That's what we sing. We don't, we don't, I don't want to break it. I don't want to hurt your feelings or my own feelings too much, but I do not come here and sing to hear my own voice. I also don't come here to sing to hear your voice either. We come here to sing to give thanks to God, among many other reasons. So blessed be the Lord. Finally, very briefly, verse 9. This is all about David, right? This is all a psalm of David. It's David's issues, it's David's problems. But David completes it in a really interesting way. He ends the psalm not by going back to himself. He doesn't say, God, you've been so great to me. Bah. Instead, what does he do? He says, you've answered my prayer, verse 6. You're my stronghold. Therefore, he burst out in one more prayer. Please save your people. Bless your heritage. Be their shepherd. Carry them forever. He, he puts the kind of last prayer, a kind of P.S. at the end of his prayer, not for himself, but for his people. You see, it, it's one thing for David to have deliverance from one set of enemies one time. It's one thing for God to show at that one moment, I'm still your strength. I'm still your fortress. But they're going to have more troubles. They're going to have more problems. They're going to have ongoing issues. And so the last thing that David prays for, be that shepherd who carries your little stubborn, weak, sick sheep around all the time. I mean, isn't that a beautiful picture? And isn't that such an opposite picture from the way Everybody else thinks about God. God is not a burden you have to carry around with you. God's not a burden you have to kind of prop up. Part of the issue in our day is that we can get concerned as Christians about propping God up, about making sure that uh, people have tolerance for Christianity in the public square or in our conversations with people who don't share Christian views. We, we have to kind of buttress him and kind of make sure that, you know, people are okay with us talking about Jesus. God does not need you to prop him up. He's not a burden like the pagans having to carry around their images of, of their gods, but he is the Exodus God who always carries you around. He carries you around every single day. He carries his people around. He shepherds them. I mean, just think about your life. Hasn't he carried you these many years? Hasn't he carried you through trials? Hasn't he carried you through joys? Hasn't he carried you through unrelenting sadness, sorrow, memory, pain, sin? Hasn't he carried you all the way? Hasn't he done that continually? Has he not been the power of his people? In one sense, this is the Old Testament version of John 17. At least this last part. Does it remind you of what Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer? John 17, verse 11, 
Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Keep them from the evil one. You see, Israel had a king who prayed for them. Israel had a king, King David. King David prayed for the people. You have a king. His name is Jesus Christ, and he prays for you. He prays for us. He prays for his people. He says, Father, keep them in your name. Doesn't that give you assurance this week? No matter what you're going to face. No matter what you're going to face. Doesn't give you assurance this week. You have a king who prays for you. You have a king who won't stop praying for you. How can you fail to make it then? How can you fail in the fancy terms you might use to persevere unto glory? How can you fail? A little sheep being shepherded all the while. What a prayer. What a song. Let's pray. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Do not be silent. Have mercy on us. Help us to praise you as you answer our prayer and carry us all the days of our lives. We ask this as your people, looking to our great king, not David, but David's greater son, Jesus Christ. We pray, therefore, in his name. Amen.